BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tonight, Trump rallies are back and Kimberly Guilfoyle is here with us to give us a preview of what's to come when he takes the stage. And if you thought Kamala was clueless on the border issue, wait until you see what the Homeland Security Director said about the CPB agents at the border. Congresswoman Kat Kamek here after her back and forth with Secretary Mayorkas. And another COVID cover-up has been discovered. You will not believe how money from the Pentagon got into the lab in Wuhan. Or maybe you will. All of that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. Good evening, I'm Dr. Gina, and welcome to Primetime. Glad to have you. Crime, you know, on the rise in America, and I honestly cannot tell by their actions that Democrats care. The Democrat Party has placed itself in a position where they need victims to retain their power. Think about it. And when victims are your path to power, you have to keep creating new victims, right? That's how it works. And that's what we see in our inner cities today that are run by Democrats. And we see that now, even in our universities where students have been conditioned to believe that they are all either victims or oppressors, we see even more of this. The disturbing execution style shooting that we saw over the weekend in Chicago that's been played all over media is what the Democrat Party is not only causing, and yes, I said it, they are causing it, but they are also and this is even worse, profiting from it. It's the height of evil. Every time that a gun is used in a crime, they can say they have the solution and that they need more funding and need more power and need more votes and, by the way, need more gun control. But we know who's behind it all. Every time that a family is torn apart, victims are created and Democrats gain more power because they are the politicians who will send free money to torn apart families so that these people can remain victims in perpetuity and their kids and their grandkids can become future victims who need the big Democrat party and big daddy government to help them, right? That's their fantasy. Democrats thrive on the chaos that is created by rising crime across America. They get to take more tax dollars and spread it around to their cronies so they can purport to be fixing crime while in fact they're perpetuating it. And they tell all the victims they've created that this is the fault of Republicans or the fault of Trump, or the fault of systemic racism, or the fault of white people, or the fault of America itself. They have lots of people to blame, but the truth is we know who it is. And of course, Democrats always have the answer. All you have to do is keep voting for them. And they promise they will, they will someday fix all these problems, even though all you have to do is look at Democrat cities that have been run by Democrats forever, and you will see the evidence that they never do and they never will. And then there's the border crisis. Democrats claim to be fixing that too, but they can't help but love the influx of poor illegals who will soon be getting a government check and will soon be fully dependent on them, the government. So when you hear a Democrat claiming to want to quote unquote fix a problem, don't believe it. 
They just want more of your money and your votes, and they have no incentive to ever actually fix the problems that they themselves have created. Coming up, Trump rallies are back. Kimberly Guilfoyle joins us next to discuss, and we'll talk about this crime issue with her, too. She has some strong opinions on this Puerto Rican couple killed over the weekend. That's next, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We would especially like to welcome those watching on Samsung, Samsung TV Plus Channel 1029. RAV keeps expanding its reach, so much so, and it's been a fun ride. All right, President Trump is headed back out on the campaign trail, and I know so many are excited about that. Trump rallies are here again. This weekend, he will be holding an event in Ohio. Then the weekend after that, Sunshine, Florida. I heard a leftist commentator say today that they don't think Trump will attract the crowds and have the mojo that he did before. But that just sounds like beltway wishful thinking to me. After a little bit of Joe Biden, I think there are more Americans fired up for the return of Trump than ever before. And here with me now to discuss, she was the finance chair of the Trump 2020 campaign and is currently the national chair of the Greitens for Senate campaign the one and only Kimberly Guilfoyle. Such an honor to have you with us today, Kimberly. Thanks for being here. Hi, Gina. Great to be on the program with you as well. And I am now also the national chair for MAGA Action, the president's uh, super PAC, and going on the road with the president. We've got the rally in Ohio, and we have events coming up in Dallas, Texas, and Las Vegas, and Arizona, because as you know, our dear friend, President Trump, is tireless. He has unbelievable, boundless energy, and he's out there fighting the good fight for all the America First policies that he worked so hard to achieve uh, and effectuate when he was in the White House. And now we're out there supporting America First candidates. And I'm, as you mentioned, uh, working, had the great pleasure to work with the former governor of Missouri, Eric Bryan, who's now running for U.S. Senate. So it's a exciting times. So, you know, we've got a lot to work on and fight back against because you see what's going on every day now across this country and under the Biden-Harris administration. Yeah, we do. And I think it is that same energy that President Trump and you and his family bring that just conjures that same energy right back from the MAGA movement. It's almost amazing to watch. There's never been a phenomenon like it, as the president has said many times. Kimberly, after a hundred and some days, of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of the bumbling and all of his capitulating to Russia and his border crisis and the list goes on. I think we're going to need larger venues for Trump rallies than we had before. I really do. And I think anyone that disagrees with that has beltway brain and needs to look in the mirror and, and reflect a little. I think you're totally right. It's such a good observation. I really think when you look at the juxtaposition of what was going on when President Trump was in the White House and commander in chief of this incredible, you know, country, especially with Fourth of July coming up and celebrating everything that is wonderful and great about this incredible country that we're fortunate to be a part of. You really think about uh, how hard President Trump worked, how much is on the line. And it just really, you know, it just 
Biden, the administration, what they're doing pales, you know, in comparison. We see the lawlessness, what's been happening, like in Chicago, the, uh, you know, wonderful couple gunned down in cold blood at the Puerto Rican Day Parade. It's just, it's sad to see, you know, it's sad to see. It's like we're going back in time to the Obama administration all over again. And America deserves yeah. better. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that Puerto Rican couple. I knew, especially with your background and your passion, um, that must have really struck a chord with you. I was very upset about it when I saw it, and it's just, it was horrifying to even watch and just to see the lawlessness. And of course, at first, the, uh, you know, mainstream media did not cover it because it doesn't fit, you know, their narrative of what's going on in Democrat-run and liberal-run cities and states across this country which is horrible. We, we, yeah, we saw this before. It's continuing now. It's actually getting worse. So it's sad to see it. It just breaks my heart. And I, you know, thoughts and prayers to their family and loved ones yeah. for what happened there. Yeah. They're just celebrating being Americans and enjoying and loving their heritage. Um, that's the freedoms that we all enjoy in this country. And to be shot down and gunned down in the street like that is just, it's, it's heartbreaking to me. It's devastating. Yeah. Beautiful young couple. We're showing uh, B-roll of them now, Kimberly, and, um, and doing their thing, um, celebrating their heritage uh, on a weekend night. We had dozens of deaths, though, in the city of Chicago. Seven more deaths on Monday uh, in the city of Chicago. And Lori Lightfoot's comment on that was, well, crime is going down in Chicago. Very interesting uh, to see uh, okay, if she ever does anything about this. Yeah, go ahead. It should be acceptable. There should be, you know, no homicides, no murders. That's what you're supposed to be striving for. You know, as a criminal prosecutor working in the homicide and career criminal division and gang cases, I know what it takes to actually cut down on crime and make streets and safe and community safe for children to go to school and come back from school and for parents to be able to go to their job and for people to be able to celebrate, you know, their country and their heritage. Um, it's very sad to me, and it should just be unacceptable. She, she shouldn't sleep at night worrying about this and making sure that it stops. But guess what? We have a liberal Democrat agenda out there that has been deafening against law enforcement, against police officers, against criminal prosecution, and now they've reaped what they sow. Yeah, socialists, yeah. straight up socialists. And, and, you know, you do realize that they are no longer making any sense at all. They no longer have a single single ideal that the American people can grab onto. They used to, they really don't anymore. We now see a panic, Kimberly, in the eyes of Democrats. They know a freight train is coming their way in the midterms and they want so badly to nuke the filibuster and to change our election laws before the, the next election because they know their time is numbered and they also know they can't win unless they cheat and lie and steal, don't they? Well, that's the problem. They knew that they could not beat President Trump, and in fact, they did not. But nevertheless, you know, they managed to be able to cheat better and smarter. It's just sad and it's sickening to me because all anybody wants is, you know, free and fair elections. That should be a bipartisan uh, issue where one person casts one legal vote and that's it. And then, of course, what you saw was a lack of transparency in terms of the process, what happened, and with the ballots, you know, missing ballots and unable to provide documentation. What are they so afraid of if the truth will, in fact, reveal you know, what happened? I mean, I, to me, it's just, it's so disheartening. I feel like we've gone, you know, back in time instead of, you know, moving forward. And that's why election reform is so important and necessary. And actually getting to the bottom of it. It's not like, oh, try to just relitigate and rehash the past. No, it's about finding out the truth 
and exactly what transpired in the 2020 election. And no one should try to, uh, you know, cover that up. You should actually want to get the information out. So the next election comes around, you actually know that you have something that is an honest, um, you know, election that we can trust that can be verified. Right, because if someone can steal an election, anyone can steal an election. So this should be a bipartisan issue. And if they're so sure that they actually won, then they should be the right. first ones in line saying, yes, please do an audit. We want to prove it and put this to, to rest, right? But they're not. So that makes you question everything. Yeah, absolutely. And when you you look at this, you see people that are being obstructionist to this because they're trying to conceal and cover up uh, and make sure that the American people don't know exactly what occurred during this last election. And it's just, you know, it's it's shameless. You know, recently Eric Rydens went to Arizona, to Maricopa, to be able to go there to oversee what was going on because people actually care. We need fighters. Okay, Gina, we don't need these people who are just going to, you know, take a knee all the time and just look the other way while people steal elections. It's not appropriate. It's not right. We need real fighters in Congress. We need real fighters in the Senate. And we certainly need a real fighter, someone strong and capable and smart, uh, you know, in the White House. And I think there's going to be a big reckoning in this country. Americans are tired of it. You see it at all the support across this country for President Trump, wherever he goes. We're selling everything out of all the events we're doing because people liked what they had with President Trump, and they liked what they voted for, and they're upset that he's not in the White House, and there's so many people that would like to see him back there again. And, you know, he looks better than ever. He's got incredible energy, and, you know, it's hard for everybody to uh, keep up with him. Um, so I couldn't be prouder than to help him and fight for that America First agenda. Kimberly, um, as you mentioned, you're national chair of Eric Greitens' Senate campaign. You know my husband served with him in the state of Missouri, and I'm from Missouri, so I get deluged with questions about that race all the time. Um, it's going to be an interesting race. There are a lot of candidates in that race calling themselves MAGA. Why do you believe, right. and, and if, if for full, sake of full disclosure, Governor Greitens also was a host on this, on this exact network, and so I need to disclose that, and he's a friend. Um, why do you believe Governor Greitens is the right man for the job, and why did you decide to put your endorsement and, and in fact, even to take a title with the campaign? Um, that's, that's real endorsement there. You decided to get totally behind him. Why? I appreciate you asking me that question because I think it's important. I take this very seriously. I will not compromise, you know, my ethics, my integrity, my passion, my belief. I want fighters, people that are going to support the America First policies that President Trump worked so hard for in this country. And I believe personally, that he will be the best fighter to support the president's agenda, to support this country and get out there and fight for the values, the principles that we believe in. You know, he's a highly intelligent, uh, you know, individual, a Rhodes Scholar. He's a New York Times bestseller. He served this country, most importantly, as a Navy SEAL, um, admirably serving his country and giving back. He served as governor. Um, he's just, he's incredibly bright and talented and hardworking. He's principled and he's unbreakable. Um, he has been unwavering in his support of the president, and he remains steadfastly so, or I would not be behind him. I believe he will be the next U.S. senator from Missouri. He has a 60 percent approval rating. And not only that, he's 40 percent, deservedly so, ahead of anyone else in the polls. So the people of Missouri love him. America loves him. And I couldn't be prouder than to stand by his side and fight alongside him. A formidable and a tireless advocate, Kimberly Guilfoyle, the one and only. Thank you so much for being with us, and thanks for all you do. Thank you. God bless. All right. Now we have a Biden border crisis update for you.
We all know that Kamala Harris is the border czar who is doing absolutely nothing about the border crisis and clearly has no idea what she's doing as VP. But the Homeland Security Director, Alexander Mayorkas, is, actual, is the actual person who is appointed to the Biden cabinet who is in charge of customs and border protection. And Congress gets the chance to have hearings and question Mayorkas, and it's clear that he knows little more about the border crisis than Kamala. Here is a congressman, congresswoman, rather, Kat Kamek, asking Mayorkas if he knows the number of sectors laid out at the border by the CBP. Now, this would be basic knowledge for anyone in his position. Listen. Can you tell me how many sectors we have in Texas? I cannot pr um, provide to you the precise number there of sectors that sectors. we have. There, Secretary Mayorkas, there are nine sectors. I'll answer that for you. And it got worse. The Congresswoman then asked if Secretary Mayorkas knew the number of Border Patrol agents at the border. How many agents do we have, Border Patrol agents, do we have on the southwest border? Uh, I will provide you with the precise uh, number, Congresswoman. Uh, I will provide that to you later today. As Secretary of Homeland Security, we have a border crisis, and you can't tell me how many agents we have roughly approximately on the southwest border. Con uh, Congresswoman, I think you're aware of the fact that uh, the tens of thousands of Border Patrol agents that we have, uh, you're well aware of the responsibilities that they execute and the talent and expertise they bring to, I, I uh, to the border. And there's roughly 20,000 for both the north and southern borders on the United States. Now, you pay his salary, and it's his job to be the head of the Border Patrol and other Homeland Security officers in the U.S. And this man has no clue, as she just laid out for you. And here with me now is the woman who did an excellent job of exposing the ignorance of Mayorkas, Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Congresswoman, great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Glad to be here, Dr. Gina. Tell me, were you surprised that he had zero grasp of simple numbers that, you know, the lack of preparation on the part of Kamala when she's asked simple questions like, have you been to the border? Are you going to the border? Um, <laughs> you think she knows she's going to be asked in a sit down interview when she's the so-called border, border czar. This is reminiscent of that, isn't it? Because these are simple questions that anyone who thinks they're going to be asked about. First of all, he should just know it. But secondly, if he knows he's going to be asked questions about it, you'd think he might want to buff up on those numbers. You know, you would you would think that the Secretary of Homeland Security, the top ranking official who, in his own words, is the actual border czar, not the vice president, as President Biden has laid out. But they they really have no working knowledge of exactly what is going on on the southwest border. You know, when I asked him about the sectors and how many sectors there are on the southwest border, it was made very clear very quickly that he had no idea, as evidenced by his answer nine sectors. As a freshman member of Congress, I actually have that knowledge. But then you look at the situation further into my line of questioning where he is using stall tactics to try to run my time out. And I ask him a simple question, how many personnel agents do we have on the southwest border? He says, I don't know. I I'm sorry, but for the Homeland Secretary who is in charge of border security, the number one issue that they they control is the number of personnel that they have to handle this crisis and it is 20,000 customs and border patrol agents that we have across the AMO 
agency, which is the Air and Marine Unit, the Customs and Border Patrol folks, which are the legal ports of entry, and then Border Patrol, which covers everything in between. And the fact that he does not know that we have 20,000 agents on both the north and south border, the majority of them on the south, that is shameful. This is a man who has been appointed and vetted through the Senate of the United States, and he has no capacity to understand the number of agents that we have to do the job. I mean, everything about his showing in both the first and second time that he has come and testified before us here in Congress has been absolutely shameful. And Americans should be furious that their taxpayer dollars are paying this man's salary for basic information that he just can't seem to grasp. How could he purport to have the backs of our Border Patrol when he doesn't even know how many of them there are and how many uh, how many things they have to protect? I mean, were your colleagues surprised by this line of questioning and everything that he couldn't answer? Absolutely. I was receiving text messages saying, I, I can't believe that he couldn't answer a basic question. Because let me tell you, I had a whole line of questioning that was very much in the weeds, very much getting into the nitty gritty of really what we need to do to solve the border crisis. But he couldn't even get past the first four questions. That tells you a lot about the administration's capacity to really address this issue. They clearly are not on the same page. He told me throughout my, my questioning, my series of questions with him, that he himself was the real border czar, not Vice President Harris. He said that he did not know the number of sectors. He didn't know the number of personnel. And he also was unaware of how much money from FEMA was being redirected to helping kids and these, uh, the, these migrants who have been apprehended, they have been, they have been told that, well, we don't know how much money is going from FEMA's coffers to address this situation. So we have a lot of problems within Homeland Security we've got to fix. We have got a lot of answers uh, that uh, are, have been concerning. And really what we need to do is get to the bottom of this. He needs to make another showing in front of Congress immediately because as the numbers are showing the startling stats of this border crisis that is really by executive order via, uh, via President Biden, this is insane. We have got a real challenge on our hands and we need to make sure that we get to the bottom of this. It seems like the most patently obvious question of all, but has he been to the border? You know, um, he has been to the border. Uh, on one occasion, he went to the airport in McAllen, Texas, but uh, didn't leave the airport. In fact, he pulled agents oh. off the line and made them report to him. And uh, I was very quick to hear about this because these are the Border Patrol agents that text me personally and tell me what's happening down there when they have issues. They don't even have the confidence in their leadership to really get answers. And when I received dozens of messages from Border Patrol agents of all rank along the border saying that coward wouldn't even leave the airport. He made us come off the line and made us leave what we yeah. were trying to do in the middle of this crisis so that we could explain this to him instead of him coming and seeing firsthand what was going on. I mean, that's just shameful. Uh, I do think that he has been to other parts of the border, uh, maybe in El Paso and elsewhere, but it has really been an interesting uh, experience seeing the uh, administration's response to this. It's absolutely shameful, and every American should be outraged. You know, the more we cover this every single night on the show, the more facets 
that I find so heartbreaking seem to emerge and uh, you know from the people on our side the drugs the rapes the drowning children the people on their side and all the horrible things that are happening on their side the Mexican side the south side of the border uh, due to the cartels and the coyote, coyotes and all the rest and then you think about the border patrol and the fact that they risk their lives every day and that nobody has their mm -hmm. back in this administration thank you for highlighting that congresswoman kat kimmick and thank you so much for all of the great work you do to hold this administration's feet to the fire awesome well thank you so much happy to do it and we will continue to do it thank you so much good keep us updated Coming up, a Democrat senator is part of an all-white club in Rhode Island, and he has a ridiculous excuse as to why there are no minorities allowed at the club. I'll run through the history of some of the clubs down here in South Florida, show you how President Trump's club, Mar-a-Lago, became one of the first inclusive clubs back in the 1990s. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. All right, Rhode Island Democrat Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is under fire for his hypocrisy regarding systemic racism. Senator Whitehouse has blasted Trump and Republicans over the years and has decried the systematic racism, rather systemic racism, that he says plagues the United States. But Senator Whitehouse doesn't play by his own rules, or at least it doesn't appear so. He keeps being asked by reporters, by reporters why he's still part of a private beach club that is all white. Here's that headline. Senator Whitehouse defends membership in private beach club that is allegedly all white. I'm sorry, it hasn't happened yet. The Democrat from Rhode Island initially said when he asked if the club had any minority members. We sure heard a lot of complaints about President Trump and race over the past few years, but let's look back at the battle that President Trump went through years ago when he opened the integrated club in Palm Beach. Years ago, an article appeared in the Wall Street Journal about President Trump's club, Mar-a-Lago. But his club wasn't anything like Sheldon Whitehouse's club in Rhode Island. Now, back in the 90s, President Trump, before he was president, fought the city of Palm Beach in court and butted heads with the town council quite a bit, actually, over the restrictions they put on his club that they didn't put on other clubs. So he used that opportunity to highlight the lack of diversity at all the other clubs and suggested that maybe the old guard elite in Palm Beach didn't like Trump's Mar-a-Lago club because he admitted Jewish people and black people. Check out what the Wall Street Journal had to say about Trump and Mar-a-Lago in 1997. It said this, Mr. Trump also has resorted to the courts to secure his foothold here, and many residents wince at the attention his legal battles with the town have drawn to the town in general and to the admission practices at some of Palm Beach's older clubs in particular. You see, it was an open secret that minorities were not allowed at the social clubs in South Florida. The article continued. The culture clash began to approach a climax last fall when Mr. Trump's lawyer sent members of the town council a copy of the film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, a film that deals with upper-class racism. Mr. Trump then approached the town council about lifting the restrictions that had been placed on the club. 
Last December, after the council refused to lift the restriction, restrictions, Mr. Trump filed a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court in Palm Beach, alleging that the town was discriminating against Mar-a-Lago in part because it is open to Jews and African Americans. The national director of the Anti-Defamation League at the time was Abraham Fox, and the Wall Street Journal reached out to him to comment on President Trump's battle with the city of Palm Beach. The article says this, Mr. Foxman seems pleased that Mr. Trump has elevated the issue of discriminatory policies at social clubs. He put the light on Palm Beach, Mr. Foxman says, not on the beauty and the glitter, on its senior side of discrimination. It has an impact, he said. Wow, that's the Anti-Defamation League. And Trump was, all, uh, was doing all of this, remember, back in the 1990s, far before the woke revolution and BLM had anything to say about it or took any action. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse sent a tweet about systemic racism last year. He said, we can and must do better to root out systemic racism in its many forms and to meet America's full promise of justice for all. But Sheldon Whitehouse, who had been part of the old guard Democrat elite for his entire life, is here in the year 2021 and has no intention of doing anything about the systemic racism that he complains about. White House told a local reporter that his all-white club is a long tradition, so that's okay. Watch this. Um, do you have concerns in 2021? I mean, obviously, it's been four years. You had remarks on the floor following the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd saying, you know, hoping to root out systemic racism in the country. Um, your thoughts on an elite, all-white, wealthy club, again, in this day and age, um, you know, should these clubs continue to exist? It's a long tradition in Rhode Island, and there are many of them. Wow, so as long as it's a long tradition and there are lots of them, then it's okay. Hmm. Thank you, Senator Whitehouse, for clarifying that for all of us. Um, and I want to say one other thing. To my knowledge, to this day, I believe Mar-a-Lago is the only fully integrated club, at least in South Florida. I think Senator Whitehouse needs a smackdown. That's what I think. So... I got the only person that I know can do a SmackDown justice. That is the very host of SmackDown with Daryl Scott. That is Daryl Scott himself. Daryl, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. God bless you. You too, my friend. Now listen, Daryl, Senator Whitehouse makes speeches to the Senate about systemic racism. He sends tweets about that. But like so many on the socialist elite left, they spend their time in all-white neighborhoods that are secure, in their all-white beach clubs, while they have the unmitigated nerve to accuse Donald Trump of being a racist when he has been inclusive going way back to before he ever had his sights set on the office of president. Such hypocrisy. Your comments. Yes, it is. I mean, they're trying anything they can, and the race card seems to have worked for them, and that was the card they're playing, uh, or they endeavored to play against President Trump, but it's coming back to backfire on them. I mean, look at this guy, White House. I noticed something you said earlier in the segment when you said that Donald Trump took on some of the older clubs, and then when you look in the South Florida area, then you look at this guy, White House, when he was questioned about this, he said, well, it's a long tradition. I mean, this guy is trying to act like racism is grandfathered in to uh, <laughs> today, like, oh, this club, we, well, we were racist before, so we can continue to be a racist. And you notice something? He downplayed it. He didn't seem to act as if he would try to do anything to alleviate it or to bring it to an end or anything like that. And uh, it's not the only one. There's a lot of racist clubs that are uh, 
dismembered by the Democratic Party. They're the party of racism. They're the party that tries to keep this, you know, they're trying to uh, be vocal about the narrative to cover up their own misdeeds. That's all. It is. I mean, look at Don Lemon. Don Lemon talks about how there's a double standard for blacks and whites in America. And they act yes. like he's some type of target. But then they say he lives in a, in, in a neighborhood that has a 3% black population and he's actually married to a white man. So this black America that he talks about, he really has no knowledge of. They're just trying to promote a racist narrative, keep playing identity politics, because that's all it is to them, politics. Well, and because I think they're trying to use black people. And I think that's the, that's yeah. the real criminal part of all of this. Is yes, it is. It is about, uh, in their minds, um, the old adage, the old socialist adage of useful idiots. And that is so insulting. And it is so racist at its core. It, it's worse than hypocrisy, really, Daryl. It really is the most patent racism we have in our society today. And it is exercised by the left on a daily basis in order to use their votes to get more power and money for themselves. That is so sickening. It's worse than slave owners in some ways. You're absolutely right. Listen, when I was growing up in the 70s, there was a genre of movies that were called black exploitation movies. What we're seeing now is black exploitation politics. They're exploiting yeah. the black community for political advantage, and they're using the black community to advance whatever political selfish political narratives or selfish political ambitions that they have. And it seems as if a large segment of the black community on the left is allowing themselves to be exploited by the left for their own political advantage because then the exploitation continues because the black community is really getting nothing out of it. And so, you know, it is what it is. But, well, they're getting, you know, a, but they're in, getting in a lot of deaths. Practice, their, their children yeah, are well, dying in, their, in the streets. <laughs> Yeah. That's what they're getting out but of it. In the, their the, private the black practice, yeah. In their private practices, in their private practice, number of those that scream racism the loudest are the real racists. Hundred percent, well stated as always, Daryl Scott. I know you'll do some more smacking down on your show this weekend, and everybody needs to catch it. Daryl Scott's Smackdown with Daryl Scott. It will be on Saturday night at 7 p.m. right here on RAV, and you don't want to miss that. Now, yesterday on the show, attorney and special advisor to President Trump, Boris Epstein, said something that got a lot of people on social media fired up. I asked Boris whether reinstatement was unconstitutional, as so many legal experts have claimed, and he gave a pretty simple explanation as to why those experts might want to listen up. You say clearly in your legal estimation there is a path for reinstatement please explain well here's what i'll say for sure that to say there's not a path is a misunderstanding of the constitution the constitution is a negative rights document meaning it right. prohibits certain things it prohibits the states from abridging the right to free speech uh, prohibits the federal government from doing the same it pro it prohibits you know putting somebody in jail without having actual you know actual charges against them the 4th 5th 6th uh, 6th amendments of the bill of rights but everything that is not prohibited in the constitution is allowed so for example the constitution doesn't speak to our ability or right to drive a car it doesn't say anything about us going to the beach but we can still go to the beach right so there's uh, the rights and and, and statements as well as processes not laid out in the Constitution are assumed actually to be constitutional. 
some who were very vocal about this on Twitter last night, are here with me now. Arizona congressional candidate Josh Barnett is here, as well as his constitutional advisor, David Jose. Thank you so much for being with us, Josh and David. Um, Josh, to you first, you seemed very excited to see a different opinion out there on this, because even though reinstatement has never been done, and even though no one's denying this is a tough and original thing to achieve, right? This would be groundbreaking. It's definitely not unconstitutional, at least according to Boris and some other legal experts, and it's not accurate to say that it's totally out of the realm of possibility. You've been looking really deeply into this, so I want to give you a chance to comment. Yes, well, thank you for having us. And, you know, this definitely, there is a constitutional remedy to this situation, although it is unprecedented, as you, as you said, there is a constitutional remedy in the sense of the people have all political power. And, and this goes across the board, and we are allowing these uh, elected servants in office to, to dictate and tell us what's going to happen and what we're going to do. And after speaking with David Jose here, my, my constitutional mentor, uh, you know, we have come to uh, certain conclusions that this is 100% reversible if, you know, fraud is shown. And, and, and also, and not only fraud is shown, but shown in the court of law, which it will be here in Maricopa County. And David, when you look at this uh, legal language uh, that everybody's throwing around out there, are you in line with what Boris said about the fact that the Constitution doesn't mention reinstatement, so that means it is on the table because of negative rights? What else is there to consider? Well, the thing that we have to see, and, and Boris is 100% correct, um, the problem that we have in America is that in our schools for quite some time, they have not taught the state constitutions. And they also failed to mention that the states actually created the federal constitution, the people of the states. And so with that in mind, the people left remedy uh, in Virginia constitution um, that clearly shows what we can do if there's maladministration or the, not even just maladministration, but the danger of maladministration. It actually gives us 100% decisive, immediate action that we can take as the majority. And, and it's clear as day. And so even with, just building on that, um, even with certification, because I think that becomes the question, um, if, you know, these states are already certified and there was a time period where anything on that could change, according to some, especially Rick Unger, all due respect to him, he's been out there battling on uh, the Internet about this a lot. And I think I've, I've invited him on the show. I'm sure he'll come. Um, so even with certification, um, I guess, what is your argument back to Rick on that these states are certified and now that can't be changed? Well, it's very simple. So there's no statute of limitation on fraud or jurisdiction. So if somebody does something without jurisdiction, there's no limitation on going back and correcting it and also on fraud. So let's look deeper. In the Virginia Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Section three, it lets us know that as the people, if any government gets to the point where they're, they have functioning maladministration, they're affecting our happiness, they have not followed the law and done the right things, we have the 100% guaranteed right, and we can read it for you right here if you wish, to remove them whenever they do that at will. We can reform or abolish at will. And that's what they're hiding from us. 
Interesting. Josh, Arizona is ground zero, as you know, right now for the election audit battle, and that will be the first step in any path for reinstatement. Uh, what are you seeing in the Arizona audit that we need to know? Well, I mean, we're going to have the final report here soon. I, I spoke um, with Senator Fan a few times in the last probably five or six days. And, and you know, they're going to we're waiting for the final result. You know, we can all guess and, and kind of, you know, you know, say, oh, there's you always hear these rumors about everything swirling around, especially right now at this point in time. But what I'm, what I'm trying to do is tell people to be patient. Let's wait for the final report to come out. We already know the left has 100 lawyers here trying to fight this thing. And, and you know, and, and again, we the people are not going to let this go. We're going to continue fighting until we get the, re, you know, get the uh, the final result, or the final uh, report, and we're going to go from there. But this this I, I believe is going to show um, detailed version of, of, of what we all thought all along with what happened with the anomalies in Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan. You know the, the, these blatant anomalies and abnormalities of what we've seen, and we're going to prove right. it now. And, um, and, and that, that's the thing that's going to be kind of fun to see is exactly what happened and, and the proof of what happened. Well, all eyes are certainly on these audits, even if, even if the propaganda press wants to pretend like they're not happening. Everybody is watching these. Josh Barnett, Arizona congressional candidate, and David Jose, thank you both for being here and for diving deep on this stuff so that the rest of us uh, lay people out here can understand it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Coming up, another COVID cover-up has been discovered. A British doctor has been funneling money from the Pentagon to the Wuhan lab. You won't believe this story. It's up next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And now it's time for some news you didn't know. And here to help, as always, from our RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, always great to see you. Likewise, Dr. Gina and the CDC had an emergency meeting scheduled for last week on Friday in order for the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, the ACIP, to discuss the FDA's June 9th report, which confirms 268 people ages 30 years and younger and mostly males have developed major heart issues after receiving the Pfizer or Moderna COVID vaccines. Mind you, the ACIP only holds three meetings a year at the CDC to review scientific data and to vote on vaccine recommendations. But this meeting was specifically called as an emergency since the FDA's findings and to decide on whether the risks outweigh the benefits when it comes to children and young adults being given the vaccine. But instead of going on with the emergency meeting, the night before, the CDC rescheduled it for June 23rd, which is tomorrow. But the reason is because they felt celebrating Juneteenth was more important. So Dr. Gina, wow. if anyone if ever wondered if our children and young people dying or being gravely injured by these vaccines is important to those in charge, the answer is no. And here's the proof. A holiday is more important than the death or injury to our young people. And I guess they'll just get to it when they decide they can. Un Unbelievable. Jessica, I never know where you get this stuff, but it's always mind-boggling. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome, Dr. Gina. 
Now, you may have heard some news this week about a British doctor named P Peter Daszak, who appears to be part of the cover-up regarding the funding of the Wuhan lab and about the origins of the COVID virus. Here's the headline. British doctor Peter Daszak, who tried to gag the Wuhan lab leak theory, has been fired from the UN Commission investigating COVID after he was exposed for organizing the letter denying the leak claim in the Lancet Medical Journal. And it gets worse. Peter Daszak's so-called charity, Echo Health Alliance, took tens of millions of dollars from the Pentagon and then sent the cash to China, to the Wuhan lab, to fund research there. Let's check in with Dr. Tom Borelli. Good to have you, Tom. Hey, Dr. Gina. Great to be back with you again. Tom, we're, we're lucky to have a molecular, who gets this, biologist on staff here at RAV. Thank you so much for being here. Tom, Peter Daszak took money, sent it to Wuhan, tried to cover it up. Um, this is just getting to be mainstay practice, really, for folks in this administration, it sounds like. Well, sure, Dr. Gina. This is actually very concerning. And actually, the $39 million from the Pentagon is only the little tip of the iceberg of the total government money that Daszak has gotten over the years. Uh, according to the, the uh, Daily Mail report, about $139 uh, $23 million, excuse me, has gone to his research lab. And ironically, the smallest part, or a small part, turns out to be uh, NIH, money from Dr. Fauci. So Daszak has been getting a lot of money from the alphabet soup agencies of the government over, you know, over a number of years. He got something like $64 million from USAID. So he's been just a pool of money. And I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is, one, there's too much money sloshing around in the system, and two, yeah. No one is holding oversight hearings or accountability of where this money is researched. I'm specifically talking about Congress and the administration. And then also scientists themselves. There's no real self-control here. It's a bunch of groupthink. Let's get as much money as we can. Let's conduct research as dangerous as it may be and just let whatever happens, happens. All of this is pointing to they need less money and far more oversight because, in my view, zero money should be going to China. Yeah, and I said part of the administration. He's actually part of, part of the U.N., but it doesn't really matter because this is the money. This is U.S. taxpayer money from the Pentagon uh, going to fund this, among other things. And this is how government operates again and again uh, on the backs of the taxpayer. So what happens now? Does he go to prison? What happens? Is this just going to be forgotten, swept under the rug? Well, what really needs to happen is a very vigorous and aggressive congressional oversight of DASEC and a number of hearings, if not a congressional investigation. I think that would be the best way to go. But of course, we have Democrats who run both sides of Congress, so that's likely not going to happen. Uh, we can't look to the Department of Justice, <laughs> Justice, yeah, no. uh, to do any sort of investigation. So. What I think should happen, and I'm not sure who can do it, but I think there needs to be a major lawsuit filed to get some discovery documents to see exactly what was going on in the Eco Health Alliance, which is the nonprofit that Daszak is the president. Oh, and, and oh, by the way, I looked at two of the uh, tax reforms that they, they send, you know, in terms of where they spend their money. And uh -huh. I found out his salary is about $400,000 a year over about two years. Of course. 400 each. 
haven't gone back yeah. further. So he's getting very rich, getting paid very well. I'm pretty sure university professors don't get $400,000 a year. So he's got right. this nice little scheme going on that he yeah, needs to be investigated. Yeah, that's Fauci kind of money uh, right there. Does this, does this <laughs> relieve right. any of the guilt of Fauci? Because we're, we're almost out of time, but about 30 seconds to answer that. Was this take any fault off of Fauci? Well, this, yeah, I, you know, Fauci obviously was, was part of the money, uh, his area part funded the uh, the Wuhan lab through EcoHealth right. Alliance, but a lot of investigation needs to be find out where the money went for and what kind of research are they doing. Right, exactly. Tom Borelli, you're the best. Thank you so much for being with us, doctor. Thank you. And thank you for joining me tonight, and thank you to everyone here at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice, RAV-TV, live from Studio 6, be up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now, and live the truth. Good night, everybody.